everybody and welcome to episode five of the Her Story podcast powered by Digital Women. I am Lucy Hall, your host, and here is my co-host. Sean Millie. Hi, everyone. Hi, everyone. And today we are joined by Charlotte Crosswell. Charlotte, tell us a little bit about you. Hi, and thank you so much for having me on today. You know, I've had quite an eclectic career across many different uh, companies and different roles and responsibilities. Um, And suddenly you wake up 25 years later and find you're recording a podcast about everything you've done, which seems quite strange to me. Grew up in a village of 500 people. So we talk about financial services and changing it. But I I can guarantee you the closest we got to financial services was probably um, cashing a check or uh, a post office book at the post office locally. (laughs) So it's been, yeah, it's been an amazing, amazing, time and still so much to do and yeah very much looking forward to chatting to you today. Thank you so much for being here with us today Charlotte and Sean what is it that you were going to say sorry about that? No my fault Uh, I I should know by now um, to be more open with my verbals and my face so that we both we all know what's coming. Charlotte I mean we were discussing Lucy and I were discussing the kinds of all kinds of digital women that we wanted to get to know as part of these her story conversations and you and I actually don't know each other at all really Uh, this is the first time I've actually seen you face to face which is actually part of the ethos of her story um, in fact because we'd like to think that you, you you people will look and particularly our digital women will listen to this conversation and think I'm looking at Charlotte Crosswell's LinkedIn profile and I'm seeing the CEO I'm seeing the board director I'm seeing the NED I'm seeing this stellar career right Charlotte on on you know I know it's slightly embarrassing possibly for you but mm-hmm. on any measure this is kind of like oh my god look at this woman is she I mean is she going to be remotely interested in in talking to me I don't necessarily mean me Sean but I definitely thought that when I first reached out to you Charlotte so what, I mean, first of all, I know Lucy will want you to say, don't be shy about telling us all the wonderful things you've done because our digital women community would be inspired by that as well as slightly intimidated. Okay. So the second part of that is if you wouldn't mind sharing with us a little bit more about that little village that you grew up in, how did Charlotte growing up in that little village get to where you are now? What drove you? What were you thinking about? What did you want to be when you were seven or nine or what have you Charlotte so yeah so it's it's been it's really interesting and and I find it fascinating that I get to talk to digital women so anyone who's listening um I'm slightly humbled because I learned to type on a manual typewriter I taught myself to type I had to do that with carbon copies so you for those who don't know what that is uh look it up it was quite archaic and then suddenly I think there was a maybe a BBC computer back then and bear in mind computer programs run off an actual tape you had to put in your tape recorder and do you know what I, I look back and I go god I think actually I was doing some coding but I didn't know I was doing coding because it was the way to sit there and program video games so maybe there was something in it that actually although I was never taught about tech or digital or financial services at all maybe there were sparks in there that I can look back on now but yeah so when you grow up in a really small village um it's really interesting because you look at it and I got to the age of 13 14 and we all wanted to earn some money um we didn't have a lot of money at home um and and you look around the village and say well what can I do there's not a lot of jobs in in a village in Wiltshire I can tell you that and one you had to get to on your bike as well obviously so there was a big choice so the, the, the secret I probably haven't shared on a podcast before but I will do today 
um, is that my first job was in a mushroom farm, picking mushrooms on a Sunday morning, five pounds a week. You know, it was um, at 14 years old. Hard work, actually, sitting in, in yeah. a mushroom farm. But anyway, um, manual labor. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. And then um, that was quite intimidating. So some very good mushroom pickers, actually. Uh, and then as I got to it older, 15, 16, I then looked around the village and said, oh, I'm not sure this is a great career enhancing moment, but there's also four pubs. And so I learned to be a waitress and as obviously wasn't old enough to work behind the bar and some very scary local lads um, who would intimidate me completely. I was inherently shy as a teenager. Um, and they probably taught me that I had to just have a little bit more confidence because when I walked out there and showed I was shy, I would get bullied in the bar. So that I would say is a real defining moment is that first job is what's the confidence it teaches you. And it doesn't have to be the big internship in this city or a tech firm or anything else, but it does need to give you something that's life skills. Um, and that certainly was life skills. And I went on to work behind the bars. I got to 18 and then um, I decided clearly somewhere in it that was quite ambitious so I ended up taking over the pub when people the uh, owners were away I learned to chef the pub I learned to change the barrels and everything else so that was uh, yeah so that was what I could do in a in a small village but I was a real town girl at heart so I did escape relatively quickly went off to um, university dropped out of the first one um, finally managed to graduate <laughs> some guys on my second attempt and and I loved living in the city and I've lived, you know, I moved up to London when I was 23 um, and you know, I would very much see myself as a Londoner. So that's, that was the, that was the village experience that so you're getting into the city. What, what did I want to do? I like most kids. I didn't really have a clue. I just wanted to earn some money because we didn't have much and I wanted to go and buy things that I liked. So I, like most people tried to get onto a graduate program. I'm not sure I was the most academic or the most studious person in the world. And, but I was very good at French. Um, so my degree was in French. I learned French, um, but I still only came out with a 2-2 in French, which is quite an art when you're fluent in it. But I did do a lot of work during my university degree. And so I applied to graduate programs. One of those was NatWest Markets, um, which still exists today. And the other one was diplomatic service. So it was either going to be finance or some type of government. And what's fascinating over the roles that I've done over the years, uh, especially my latest one running an industry body, was it really combined all of that, actually. It combined that, that one thing, I want to make financial services better and I want to sit there and give people financial freedom and education and I want to have you know, to help people understand what the purpose is. But I also want to influence government because I think you, without that, it's quite hard to make real systemic change. Um, so I've glossed over the big bit in the middle, but that's the, sort of, that's the beginning and the end. <laughs> So how did you go from then? I guess this is the natural next question. How did you go from a kind of girl, woman behind the bar, running the pub, um, moving to London and deciding that you wanted to work in finance and then obviously from there deciding that you wanted to make some change within that as well? Yeah, I mean, it was it was interesting because when I didn't get the graduate programmes um, through and goodness, when you came from the school and university, they don't really help you. And there's so much, there's so much more information on how to do it now. But back then, it was really self-taught. And I remember being in Whitehall for my final round for a diplomatic service and when I got turned away. And I was in the waiting room, I remember it really clearly. And there was these, these guys from um, Oxbridge who were there and they were reading the FT and one of them was reading The Economist. And I was sitting there going, oh my God, nobody told me about this. And clearly I didn't get to the next round. I didn't get to the final one. But I, was, I, was, I got through the, obviously, a lot of the initial tests. Um, and you, I think it's what I say to any child now that I get to talk to, and I love going into schools to talk about people, you know, is education so important? Because if you can go and grab those opportunities, it makes your path into your 20s so much easier. And I didn't have that. So 
But what I did have is I had great work experience. Um, I worked all through university. So when it wasn't in the pub, I was, I learned to type really quickly and I did office work instead, which was you know, a lot easier and better paid. Um, and I worked, got offered jobs by quite a few of the companies that I'd been temping for. And then I took the, the one that sounded the most exciting, who offered a job, which was actually in fashion, um, to do some marketing and merchandising up in Burlington Arcade. And I lasted about nine months in that and realized that the fashion industry was a little bit behind and maybe wasn't quite ready for someone who was going to come in and, and <laughs> computerize everything. Um, so I walked into an agency at the age of I think, 23, 24 and said, I want to get into banking. It's a temp agency. And they said, well, what can you do? I said, well, I can speak French. <laughs> and they said, oh, great. Goldman Sachs needs someone tomorrow. And go and uh, go and work for them. I don't think I admitted that I didn't know who Goldman Sachs was at the time. Sorry, Goldman. And off I went. And I walked into that trading floor the next day, literally to be a desk assistant to the French salesperson for a day. And the village, the village of 500 people, remember, there was 400 people on that trading floor. 400. <laughs> So it's like my entire village on one floor. And a day became two days. They kept me on. Oh, goodness, anyone who's learned to do a dealer bow at board phone is so complicated. That first day, I must have lost so many clients on the phone and got yelled at so many times. Um, but I stayed. They kept me going. And two months later, I was still temping. And then they offered me a permanent assistant, desk assistant role, sort of helping the sales and trading firm, um, which was a lot of fun. So I worked my way up to two and, two and a half years. But when you come in that route into banking, it's always slightly remembered you've come in by the temp route, however good you are. <laughs> so I took the experience and then I moved on from there onto London Stock Exchange. And my view is all the jobs I've done in whatever small way it was and sort of up to, you know, I was joined the management team of the LSE probably five years later. No, probably less actually about three years later after joining. So really worked my way up through there. But I always wanted to work on things that were, had some sort of lasting impact. Um, whatever that is. So in banking, that's quite hard. Um, you can go and do really, really meaningful things. And there's amazing people changing um, the face of financial inclusion, financial well-being. Um, but when you're in that small job, it's quite hard. Um, but one thing I've got to work on is market inflation and the fact that it wasn't very, obviously, we've just gone on to tech by then and lost the trading floor. But there was so much work needed to be done to stop market manipulation in, in equities. Um, and I got to work on all the change of the tech side on that, which, and I think they kept some of those auction processes in for 15, 20 years. Um, so in your small way, you just do something that's a bit more lasting than turning up in a job from nine to five. Um, and that was really formative for those six years. And I ended up saying, well, actually, I'm not sure I want to want to work in regulation and market manipulation and telling traders they've, they've done something wrong. And they, they moved me internally several times. Um, and I ended up running business development for the UK. Uh, international business development and importantly this was obviously late 90s um the business development for all the tech firms which i said i'm going to do the technology sector because you could see what was happening and i got to hang out with all the founders and ceos of tech firms who were looking at ipoing who had just listed who were thinking about listing raising capital and you yeah, know got to meet the most amazing people so you think of the floats of you know what was happening at arm at the time um you know, autonomy you had obviously lastminute.com so all of those IPOs I worked on, which was, you know, was phenomenal fun. And that was when I really solidified my interest in, in the bridge between tech and finance. Charlotte, I already know that we could do a whole series, actually, unpacking. But we're not, I'm not going to ask you to do that. Just, just you know, don't worry. But all some of the things that you talked about, in fact, all of the things that you talked about, to be unpacked. And thank you so much, by the way, for being so open and sharing this quite happily with our community. Because I have to say, so I'm going to come on and ask a question in a minute, I promise. But I have to say, not only do you sound, but you look 
the archetypal career woman who's been on a plan, particularly in financial services, I think you know what I mean, that's been on a plan and a planned trajectory and is now at the top of where she always knew that she was going to be, right? Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that at all, by the way. I don't mean that pejoratively. But I never cease to be amazed that when we talk to the real humans, because I am, you know, no matter how old you are, I don't think, and maybe you have a view on this as well, uh, and how much you've done in your own life, you still feel, oh, my God, that, you know, my, my life experience tells me that really successful people also tend to be, there's a, there's a greater tendency for them to be actually real humans there, quite happy to be a real human with you than not. But there's still that real hesitation, Charlotte, especially when, as I say, you look and sound and kind of, you've got the gravitas, you've got the, the presentational skills, you know, you've got the voice and the personal presence. We can see listeners because we're actually looking at each other so we can gauge each other's um, expressions and have a proper conversation, but obviously you can't. Charlotte, you look like the archetypal stellar financial and fintech leader, right? And still today, I don't. I think people will be surprised. Maybe even some people that know you and have worked with you, you know, to hear about that Wiltshire Village. And by the way, mind blowing to walk into one room where basically that's your village there in size. I mean, it's yeah. clearly, you know, something an experience, a whole set of experiences that you've just described yeah. that has stayed with you for the rest. I mean, what what do you think? How do you think that sort of that sense of being? perhaps overwhelmed that sense of being completely a fish out of water at various points in your career you haven't let it get in your way but equally you've recognized that that's been part of who you are would you say I think you know, the one thing that stays with me um and I used to have a Wiltshire accent to talk about my accent I, I lost that really quickly because I got really picked on when I started in the city so the Wiltshire accent had to go fast um but it sometimes creeps back um but I think the one thing that stuck with me is when you come from any type of background and it's very rare actually that people go into a private school to Oxbridge the graduate program the a career it's you especially in founders um, people tend to have come from a different type of background to that, or they've just you know, they've done different things. But I think you have a slight thirst for for doing more than just a career, and always wanting to do something. Whether whether it's using the platform that I've been given in my various jobs to go and make that change or call for change, um, but also really wanting to make a difference on that. And we all get very wrapped up in our exec careers because I'm so busy, especially over the last year and a half. You know, how many people have said that they just can't see the wood for the trees, 30-minute Zoom meetings? And the great thing is having just come out of that and taken that decision to then say, well, I'm going to go and take a couple of months off and work out what to do next. It makes you realise, just one, you get time to work on the stuff you really want to work on. But two, importantly, you, it is a bit of a hamster wheel. And you've got to be really careful. You have to get off that sometimes and really reassess what you're trying to do and where you want to be. And... You, there's, I've been very lucky, like many people who've um, you've taken choices there. Financially, I've been lucky because I bought my first flat when I was 23. I didn't want to live with anyone else. And it was cheaper to buy actually back then than it was to rent. So sorry for anyone listening to that, because that's probably not, people can't compute with that idea. Um, and that gave you that gives you choices because you get on the, 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 um, the housing ladder so early that I was mortgage free. By the time I was in my early 30s. And you know, being able to do that gives you choices then in what you do in your career because you are not sitting there, unfortunately, chasing down and having money burdens and money worries. But you know, I'm still, so I consider myself fortunate on that piece of it. And that's allowed me to take 
choices in my jobs that wouldn't naturally be um, what other people do in my situation so I decided I didn't want to go and work for the big corporate I wanted to go and do something slightly different each time and I went from London Stock Exchange to NASDAQ because they said we want someone to run um, everything outside the Americas at the time um, and that really made me travel to the west most far from places around the world and again you know just fascinating but I hadn't been on a plane till I was 18 and by the time I was 30 31 you know I was doing half a million miles a year on a plane uh, for work I mean it was just crazy I mean, you know so again it's just, it's fascinating. And you you have to reassess just one, the position you're in and then say, well, if actually the, the market's been kind to me, I've worked really hard, <laughs> I've really had to hustle. But you have to also sit there and say, what do you give back? Um, and I'm, at the moment I'm going to work on some cool, cool stuff where you get to give something back as well. And I've always wanted to just do that little bit more than the day job. And everyone who's worked for me, you know, worst criticism I ever get is the random time of um, night I send emails. I'm I'm a bit of a night owl, quite extreme. So one, two o'clock in the morning, night owl. And, you know, and I'll sit at midnight and go, oh, let's go work on that. Let's go do that. And I just do it at my own time because I just think it's quite fun and I want to fix it all. It all needs to be fixed straight away, of course. But yeah, so it's, it's, it's fascinating when you look back and just say you always just urging people to reassess and saying, well, actually, what would you say to the 14-year-old self? Um where you've come from and what would you do to use that platform to say actually it doesn't really matter what background you've grown up in um, and technology is a great leveler you have now an opportunity to go and make a real difference whatever it is it might be starting your own business on youtube or tiktok people are doing that 14 15 years old or it might be maybe joining the workforce at 16 or 18 and working your way up and i think actually we are entering an era where there is going to be much more choice in how people get into careers, how they change careers, how they retrain, the Kickstarter program, the apprenticeships that are coming back into fashion, so to speak. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see how that's going to change our workforce over the next few years. So would I do it all the same again? No, I would have worked harder at school and university and made it a bit easier so I didn't have to work quite so hard in my 20s to prove that I was probably worth doing something. But um, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad at how it's ended up so far. Yeah, I, it's probably given you a lot more wisdom, hasn't it? Doing it the hard way, I suppose. And it taught you a lot more kind of life lessons, um, I guess. And I was just um, going back to when you said you worked in a bar and you felt quite intimidated by the guys in there. Um, you know, young woman starting out, um, you know, at work in a bar. It's quite intimidating with guys there. And and then going into onto a trading floor might be kind of like a similar situation because I imagine I just imagine a trading floor to just be full of men you're walking as one of the only women I don't know if it, if that's right maybe that experience from the bar helped you a little bit when going in and dealing with that kind of situation I'd love to hear more about that yeah I mean you learn to be you know, anyone who's worked in especially a local village not you know not the fancy wine bars that you get in the city or they probably they're just uh, going through just as much hell on a Thursday night but you get to be quite sassy because you have to, because you have to have the flippant comments ready to go back and you have to sort of adapt, I think, to, to the workplace that you're in at any time. And I think that's the thing you learn. You can't go in there as someone who's going to tell people what to do in a pub when they're your customers. So, And it's no different to when you've got multi-million dollar customers, you get older. And I think that's the thing. You end up just thinking, how do I, how do I adapt to this environment? Because actually, what do I want to do? I want to do well in every job that I do, whatever it is. And I want to just do that extra, extra mile. And yeah, so maybe, maybe I had the comments. Um, I can also hold my drink quite well as well. That definitely helps. 
<laughs> There's definitely good training as a teenager. <laughs> God. So I think what's really interesting, though, and really important in today's world, too, is that you, you're you sort of combining those two things, right? That adaptability, the conscious adaptability, but on the basis of what you think your values are. Now, you might not have used that language, Charlotte, and it might have taken you a while to work out, let's talk about maybe boundaries, let's talk about, I'm going to adapt, but that doesn't mean you can grab my ass when I give you a drink or the corporate equivalent, which as we both know, sadly, isn't necessarily any less subtle, right? And so that that whole piece around, you know, how can you be yourself authentically in the workplace, have the self-expression and get the permission from those around you to kind of excel and show your talents and have the opportunities. So all that adaptability that you talk about, but at the same time, knowing really clearly not quite sure how to put it actually I don't it, there is values there is boundaries in there but it's something else Charlotte. I'm sorry I'm not I'm, I don't know what the right word is but to give young women particularly but young men too anyone actually it's not an age issue I, I necessarily but I think it's particularly difficult at a young age going for, and certainly from like I did I mean I come from North Devon uh, Barnstable was 45,000 people so it was bigger than your village but mindset wise I don't think it was potentially any different Charlotte and uh, just to say open brackets I didn't have an accent bizarrely although everyone around me including my family did I don't know what happened there maybe they put me in front of the radio very young and I was <laughs> listening to BBC4 or something Radio 4 but that whole thing about having to lose your accent that for me is really interesting, feeling like you needed to as part of your armor or your adaptability toolkit. You know, those decisions about what, what are the things that I'm prepared to do and learn and be adaptable with and what are the things that I'm absolutely not going to compromise on because they're me. Did you have that conscious debate going on at any point? Do you still have it now? I mean, you, yes, I think there's always there's always a line that's going to be crossed. And when you and you have that's different for every single person. So am I used to having some you know, some comments made to me over the years. Of course, everyone does, I think. Um, and one, it's how does that affect you as a person? What might be right for me or I will tolerate won't be right for someone else. And it's the same as the, you know, it's the same as the kids in school now as well. But I think it's it's always having your boundaries. And I think anyone who knows me, you know, I will always sit there happily having having a drink, you know, being part of the banter, but also people know I have the boundary and I will call that out. Um, and I do call it out. Um, so I think it's you. You have to know where that is for you personally and I think that's you know, it gets a bit muddied along the way I think at the moment um and we've certainly seen that in some of the scandals that are coming out I think it's it really shows you just how people have realized that they they maybe put up the stuff that wasn't acceptable um or they didn't feel empowered to change it um and then we translate that back into business you know and it's the same piece right? so you know what's important to you as a value of the work you want to do I have no criticism if someone wants to be CEO of a bank. Um, I never say never, but you know, I don't. I have no plans to be CEO of a bank. Um, I couldn't. Uh, you know, that's a very stressful job, and I'm not sure I would want to go home and worry about that every day. But there's other things I would do around banking, and you know, and I think you and I have sort of things on social, which I'm where you're really keen to see what we do around financial inclusion, what we do around financial well-being and wellness, and how do we educate kids on how to use technology and coming out of school where there's more. Uh, equality between girls and boys and how they understand what the relationship is with money that again it empowers you to make choices in your life um and unfortunately there it's every piece of data shows that girls just don't have the relationship with money that men do it just doesn't happen um, and there's work to be done on that so i think it's it's you have to navigate what's important and 
I think the challenge is when you've had quite a broad career like I've had, I've gone from capital markets to tech, to financial services, back to tech, and now into fintech, and a fair amount of trying to to move things along you know, across government and regulators, it's how do you focus on it? Because there's so much that you want to change. Um, and the beauty of not running industry body day to day now is that you can go and you can probably go and do two or three things really, really well and make that difference. And I think that's what's important to me is taking that. And that will be around inclusion, well-being, but it will definitely also be around young people and empowering them um, because it's something I feel very, very strongly about. And our education system hasn't changed since I was at school. So I've got a 13 year old and you know, she's still learning history the way I learned history, which is just ridiculous. And we're not teaching digital skills or financial skills or business skills. How do we persuade people to be entrepreneurs? So how do we insert that and get industry to work on that and move things forward? And I think that's that's what you've got to look at is what's your values personally, but also professionally and, and what do you want to be? And the great thing is there's a great mix of people out there that people want to focus on different things and that's what moves us all forward oh i was waiting for sorry Sean, i was waiting for you to ask the next question wow i mean charlotte you're amazing actually and i just feel that we're hugely privileged to have you here on this podcast but what i want to know from you is you do you've done you've had this amazing career so far and obviously you're not stopping anytime soon and you seem to be really driven and really passionate about things like financial inclusion you know education technology education digital education financial education why why are you so driven by this like why are you so passionate about this what's you know what's firing this these ideas and these projects that you're running i mean i think it's because i can Having worked around financial services for my career, so whether it's fintech or capital markets, but it's been around the financial space, I think where my view is that when you look at the mental well-being of people, the biggest problem to mental health, money worries, through and through. And we have, you know, we're advancing so fast in technology, which is making things easier to understand. I mean, you look at the the challenger banks, all of them have such, you know, such amazing technology that allows people to understand what they can do. But we're just, you know, we're still at the beginning of that journey. And people lost their trust in financial services post-financial crisis. Um, and I think a lot of people have never built it up from, from scratch. They don't really understand what money is. People don't save for pensions. They don't understand what that means. They don't plan for maternity leave, paternity leave, divorce, and all the other really big life changes, redundancy. And that's something that inevitably will change over the next 20 to 30 years. It will happen naturally. What we've got to do is try to work out how to, to advance it. And the beauty of technology coming into this is done in the right way. And we can talk about data and the risks of data and how that can actually work against someone on credit records. But if we can, if we can empower everyone's fascination with smartphones and tech and learning in a different way, as we pass down to the next generation, you know, wouldn't it be great that they understand what finance means and how it's important, whether they said it's in the next three to five years of planning for making a major purchase into, into retirement and, and beyond. And I feel that technology can play such an incredible role. Um, and it did during the pandemic. I mean, this is a really great you know, time to look back at a year ago. Where in that first month of lockdown, one of our favorite statistics we used was it was estimated 6 million people downloaded a banking app for the first time. 6 million, so that's 12% of the adult population. And that's because they couldn't go to the bank and they didn't have someone to phone. It was really difficult to get hold of call centers. Um, so people were forced to use technology. Now we have to be really careful that that is going to in turn leave people behind as people who don't have access to the internet, don't have access to a bank account, don't have access to a smartphone. 
So that's the risk is that we've got to make sure that there's still a really inclusive alternative as well for people who want to use cash or want to go to a bank. But also we do need to nudge along the ones where we can advance it because that is going to help people. And you can talk about open banking and open finance and just the opportunities coming in from that to empower people to make that choice where it's not just your your energy bill you get every quarter that says, oh, by the way, if you swapped your rate, you could you could save X amount of money. But you know, can you imagine a world where we look at it and say, well, actually, that's going to be, and if you did this, this is how much your pension would be worth, or this is what you could do for your mortgage, or this is where your savings can work better for you, and you have something, a whole dashboard across all of your financial services history. And some of that it can be done by the banks, and they are doing it, and they're, they're advancing it quickly. But the, the way to accelerate it is really empower this amazing movement we've got with fintech to, to do something really quite special. And that in turn said, we'll, we'll make a level more level playing field for the future. So again, a whole list of issues. Charlotte, I am going to have to book another time chat with you. You knew it was coming anyway, aren't you? Not necessarily recorded, but there's so much there that, as you know, um, meshes with the things that I'm really passionate and trying to be active in supporting as well. But I think there's something there, isn't there, about a couple of things. So yes, the whole point about digital women as a community that Lucy and Aviso Media have started is that there, there are millions of women out there who could and should be using digital to their advantage. Many of them setting up their own businesses, which may be large, small, everything in between, but also just using the knowledge of digital and digital, digital tech, let's call it that, but actually they're things really to make their lives easier, to help educate themselves on their finances, to help educate their kids, to do lots of creative expression, expressive things where they can make a difference to the world in the way that they want to get it done. Because we know, you know, people do, there are loads and loads and loads of us as ordinary humans who want to make a difference of all different sorts, whether it's um, helping vulnerable communities, whether it's uh, biodiversity and planting more trees, or whether it's creating your own social media business and earning your living that way, which, you know, digital women as a community covers pretty much everything you can possibly imagine. So yes, encouraging that entrepreneurial spirit and that knowledge, but also what about the people who are in work, the kinds of people who are employed by your scaling fintechs and the banks and the large corporates, that financial resilience piece and using digital technology for them. I mean, I suppose I have some sort of some questions around your views on how that financial resilience needs to work, not just in terms of personal responsibility and personal education, and skilling up with digital, whether that's you know your banking app or starting a business, and where that meets the corporate responsibility, if you even think about it that way or see the world that way, Charlotte, where do you think the balance is? I think it, again, it's 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 talking to people about these values as well, and yeah, you know, and it, this is where you do see the difference between investment banking against investment banks, and I work with many of them, but through to the people joining a startup to go and make a difference, and you do see it's a different value, it's a different culture. But not, not, that's not a general rule. We, you know, there's lots of things. In, when I was at Innovate Finance, we worked on something around culture and, and showcasing that actually even within the fintech community, there was you know, some cultures that weren't very good and they weren't standards. And we got people to sign up to a charter on that. So I think you wish, we can't say that it's all great in a startup and it's not great um, somewhere else because that's just not the case. And there's some startup founders that you meet who it's, it's inbred in them. There's others who are uber ambitious and sit there and want to make it happen all all yesterday and bring that real corporate mindset to it and sometimes that can be at the expense of looking at the values that you have as well i think with the push for esg 
I think there's, there's again, another really big opportunity. A lot of people have been focusing on the E, and which, again, is incredibly important, but really looking at our social impact that we have, the sustainability of our financial services, I think is, is really, really important. When you look at the sustainable development goals, just take that step back and get people to just really think about the impact you can have, even within whatever role you're in, whether it's a call center and you're talking to a vulnerable customer. Um, again, it's a really important job to the, to the developer who's sitting there trying to work out the most user-friendly um, way of, of advancing their company. There's just everyone can make that little bit of difference. Um, and I think it's really important that our, our banks, our fintechs, our big scaling companies talk about that and talk about what's the purpose of your job you do every day. And if we order that across the 1.1 million people working in financial services in the UK, we would have a very different relationship with financial services. Whereas at the moment, it seems too complicated for people who aren't in it. And, and when you're in it, you, you're so busy that you're sitting there focusing on what you're doing without maybe taking a step back. And that's, you know, that's the beauty I had when I was running the industry body is just seeing that from all walks of life and being exposed to that, you know, whether it's the end consumer who's sitting there trying to work out how to navigate it all the way to, to the bank CEO. Um, and you get to meet some incredible people who are genuinely using their platform to make a difference. And that doesn't have to be the most, you know, the most junior person and it doesn't have to be the most senior person. It's up and down organizations, it's cross, it's asking the questions of the board around the culture and the values that we're doing. And, and I think that's going to be really important. And it will, the E piece is, is important, but we have to remember that there is a bigger, broader um, opportunity out there. And leveraging technology in whatever guise it is, it might even be the most basic tech, um, is one way of doing it. It's not the only way, but a like where our return to, return to work will be hybrid. It's probably a hybrid relationship of how we manage money, cash, and digital payments going forward. So, Charlotte, you've talked about you're going to take this opportunity to not be in a massively pressurized corporate role where your time really isn't your own, although you do still try to make it make it work, to do some much more focus on those things that are really important to you and you're particularly passionate about, diversity and education. So I'd like, if you could, on the education front, can you share with us any hints or any concrete things that you're, that you're taking forward to try and achieve some of the, the goals that you've got around education and maybe what some of those, what that, those proofs of change, if you like, might look like for you and in what kind of time scale? Oh, time scales always always supposed to be yesterday and never quite happens, um, unfortunately. I and mean, yeah, when we were we're Innovate Finance is a program called Fintech the Schools, which you know we set up while I was there, which was about started by saying how do we educate people on careers in fintech? And then um and then the other piece was about financial well-being and and all the great fintechs out there. So I you know, I love their program. I, I was talking to a school recently about you know, what that role was with fintech. So there's the small things like that, and there's the bigger piece of it. I'm talking to lots of fintechs out there at the moment who, who are really focused on this space, um, but also using the opportunity I have sometimes to talk to, um, you know, to senior people within government, other ministers or civil servants, and just saying that this is what we should be looking at and this is what industry can do. Because I think it's got to be industry-led, because if you wait for the Department for Education to change the education system, we'll be out of date in 20, 20 years' time. So what can industry do if we have a coalition of the willing to make that difference? And as, as we know, a lot of the time, it needs people with time and energy and passion for the topic. And there are some amazing people out there that I'm talking to at the moment who are doing some incredible work around this space. And I get time to sit and think about how I can work with them. So yeah, so it's 
it's never it's never quick enough um I'm, i have promised my daughter i will spend some time with her this summer because last summer was pretty tough i must admit working on the, the government loans and uh, anyone who's got a 13 year old knows the challenges uh, of that but you really assessing sort of how you can have the biggest impact but maybe that's across many companies um and bringing people together and i'm a great believer in collaboration and partnerships where you can um and competition where it's needed and if i can use this time to connect up people, then hopefully that will start to make a bit of a difference quickly. Wow, thank you so much, Charlotte. I think that was a really great way to kind of round up the podcast as well. I just find you so inspirational and so passionate and so driven. Um, and I just, I just think that we are hugely privileged to have you here on the podcast and um, just giving us some insight into your life and how and your career and how um you know you've got to where you've got to and um, sitting here in front of you you do look like you know you are that completely um amazing ceo type of woman who's um you know gone through various different you know various different careers and various different types of um you know, jobs and that kind of thing. And um, I just think everybody's going to find it hugely inspirational to hear from you. And also to hear that they can make a difference. People can make a difference wherever they are in their career, which is absolutely amazing. Um, but what I normally do at this point is I hand over to Sean to round up the podcast because she's so much better than me at it. She's absolutely fantastic at it. So I'm going to hand over to Sean to round up. And I just want to say a huge thank you to you, Charlotte, because you have been incredible. Over to you, Sean. Right. So, uh, yes, I'm going to ignore the usual massive build up from Lucy. She only does it to wind me up, Charlotte. So in summary, then, you know, what's really amazing? Yes. I mean, stellar career, massively interesting career history and career insights over a really important phase of time for financial services as well. I think we're of a similar sort of vintage Charlotte, so I wasn't quite carbon paper, but I was yellow screen, whatever it was, you know, those the, the first iteration. I only narrowly missed typewriters in my first job, right? So, but I think above everything else, and there is so much to look at and admire and think, yeah, you know what, there's, there's a pathway there. There are things that I can learn and think about myself as well. For me, the most inspirational thing that I have learned about you today that I did not know before we came into this conversation was you, you, to me, are a living embodiment of where you're born, where you start, your destiny is not set in concrete. And some of that is luck, but a lot of that is grasping opportunity and deciding this isn't good enough for me, right? In a positive way, I think that's such a, a meaningful, we, can, we need all those stories we can possibly get, Charlotte, I think. So for me, you know, I look at you and I do see some similarities with upbringing, actually, and about I feel very passionately about people feeling that their fate is determined by their socioeconomic group and where they were born and who they know and who their dad is or who their uncle is. Some of that absolutely helps and it's not a bad thing. But I think for me, it's that don't let those things dictate your fate. You can make a difference. And then obviously what you're also doing is saying, I'm not sitting back and just sitting on my wedge, my literal or metaphorical wedge. I am going to go out there and spread that awareness and the skills and the lobbying power and using the platform that you've got. I don't think that's that common, Charlotte. We need more women, more digital women like you. And uh, thank you so much. You've absolutely exceeded all of my hopes and expectations on every level from having this conversation with you. So thank you. 
Well, thank you both. It's been an absolute pleasure, and you know, it feels that we've scraped the surface. But uh, but I'm also everyone knows you. Know, I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. Just reach out. That's what I was going to, that, that brings me on to my next question or the final question of today then, Charlotte. Where can people go to find you on social media or your website and that kind of thing you'd love to hear? Yeah, so so LinkedIn is Charlotte Crosswell and my Twitter handle is at C Crosswell. I'm a sporadic Twitterer. Um, I, I follow it avidly because uh, I get to learn a huge amount in very short amounts of space, which I look quite like, but, um, but certainly can be reached out there. Thank you so much. If you're listening to the show today, um, please do follow Charlotte and see what she has to say um, because you're just going to learn a lot. And yes, we have only scratched the surface, so we would love at some point to get you back so that we can go into a little bit more detail, um, a little bit more detail. But we only have an hour in total, so we have to do what we can, um, especially with an amazing, busy woman like you. Um, we can't sit here with you all day, although I would love to. And then, so with Sean, I think as well. So thank you very much, everybody, for tuning in today. Please find us at digitalwomen.live. And um, if you hit the resources button, you'll see the Her Story podcast and you can check out all of the um, previous episodes as well as this one. Please do subscribe wherever you're listening so that you can get future episodes and make sure that you share with us on social media what you've learned from this podcast episode as well again thank you very much for tuning in i've been lucy hall thank you very much for joining us charlotte crosswell and thank you to my wonderful co-host john millie sorry i forgot <laughs> i was supposed to say it bye bye thank you thank you for tuning in to this episode of her story powered by digital women if you would like to connect with us further, please head over to our community on LinkedIn by typing in Digital Women, on Facebook by typing in Digital Women, or you can connect with us on Twitter or Instagram by using digital where we're replacing the L with a one and then women. You can also connect with me on Twitter at Lucy Shall, that's Lucy, S-H-A-L-L, or on LinkedIn as Lucy Hall. You can also connect with Sean. Yeah, you can. Just search for Sean Millie on LinkedIn. Absolutely. So thank you very much for tuning in today. We can't wait for you to tune in to the next episode.